Farmers are the heartbeat of rural America. Congress recently invested $20 billion in America's farmers and ranchers, focusing on conservation practices and profits for future generations. Today, these funds are at risk. You're squawking over $20 billion. That USDA program, it's investment into the future for everybody. If the funding was eliminated, it could hurt farms and families. Tell Congress, protect this generational investment in the Farm Bill. Learn more at investinourland.org. Paid for by Invest in Our Land. The court said this really wasn't about Roe versus Wade, but it always is. The U.S. Supreme Court today struck down a restrictive abortion law in Louisiana. With conservative Chief Justice John Roberts again casting the deciding vote with liberals. Abortion rights advocates claim cautious victory. Roe versus Wade may need one more justice. For conservatives, they are telling their voters you know, look, we just need one more. This president has the opportunity to name at least one and perhaps more. They're saying we're so close to being able to go after Roe versus Wade, we just need one more and that's why we need to reelect President Trump. You know, when I think of all of the reasons to reelect this president, that might be my bias, slight bias on the matter. Basically the same message as being shared by progressives. This wasn't a 5-4 decision, it was 4-4-1 and a very cautious one. They said, look, they just need one more, they're so close to be able to take away these rights. That's why we have to mobilize and defeat President Trump at the ballot box. We hold women's rights and abortion rights by a very thin thread on this court, and this is going to be an important issue in the November elections. Today on Nerdcast, we are digging into a razor-thin Supreme Court decision on abortion rights. And it was a win for liberals, although some conservatives think it'll turn out the vote for Trump. But honestly, it seems like it's just got everyone on both sides feeling a bit nervous. I'm Scott Bland, and we've got healthcare reporter Alice Miranda Olstein here. Okay, I'm recording now. <laughs> to explain exactly what this ruling means, what it means for the presidential and congressional races in November, what it means for the status of abortion rights and the fight over it that's going to continue in the days, weeks, months, years to come. So, Alice, tell us what happened at the Supreme Court this past week. This is always the week of the year that a lot of things happen at the Supreme Court because they leave everything, all the big controversial stuff, right for the end uh, and then get out of town. And in particular, uh, this week, that meant that everyone was expecting uh, this big Louisiana abortion case that uh, you've been covering for a long time and a lot of people have been very intensely focused on for, for just as long. Yeah, absolutely. So the Supreme Court ruled on the first major abortion case that the court has heard since Donald Trump's two appointees have been confirmed to the bench. And so there was a lot of anticipation for how they would come down on this. And it came down in a really interesting way. It was five to four to strike down this Louisiana law that would have closed clinics across the state. And Roberts, Chief Justice Don Roberts, sided in some ways with the liberals in order to come to that conclusion, although he said that it was less about how he feels about abortion and more about upholding precedent since the Supreme Court heard a very similar case just four years ago and said that these kinds of laws, uh, which require clinics to have admitting privileges at local hospitals, are not constitutional under Roe versus Wade. So Roberts siding with the court's liberals is 
think maybe something we're hearing a little more often these days, but it's not it's not the way you expect the the Supreme Court to line up, especially when you hear there's been a a five four ruling. Were were you expecting this this kind of ruling on Monday? Uh, it, it seemed like a lot of people were taken aback by it. So. Yes and no. So Roberts has been a swing vote and has gone both ways. I would say that what we can sort of determine from the opinions that have come out recently, he has sided with the liberals on things like DACA, the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, on the uh, transgender protections in the workplace, things like that. But he has sided with conservatives on other issues. I think the key here is really he cares about the reputation of the court. He cares about precedent. He has said publicly that he's really worried about the court being perceived as a political entity rather than a impartial judicial one. And so he is not likely to, just a few months before a very big election, overturn precedent on a big spicy abortion case. So I was not surprised in that way based on what we know about Roberts. But I think that it really could have gone either way. That's really interesting. I mean, you know, once Justice Kavanaugh was appointed to the court, replacing Anthony Kennedy, who had been kind of a previous swing vote on abortion cases in the past. I think that there was a lot of anticipation uh, in the conservative movement and also among among liberals that Rover swayed and associated uh, abortion cases at the Supreme Court w- would be under threat kind of under the, the new makeup of the court. And I think that also kind of explains some of the reaction to the decision on Monday that, that we've seen coming out of, of both sides, especially the, the conservative wing of the country. Right. And so, like you said, there was the anticipation on one side and fear on the other side that this court would move swiftly to eviscerate Roe versus Wade, and that has not happened. But they have, and lower courts, which are increasingly filled with and influenced by appointees of Donald Trump, much more than the Supreme Court, the lower federal courts, have moved to the right on on abortion and other issues. And so I think we're a lot less likely to see this sweeping overhaul and more likely to see these more narrow chipping away actions that we've been seeing for many years already. Yeah, that you anticipated my next question. You know, these cases, not just on abortion, on a lot of hot button issues, they don't just advance to the Supreme Court organically, right? There are advocacy groups on every side of every issue that are trying to find what they think to be the perfect case to advance their issues and force a change, kind of force a case up the ladder to the Supreme Court. So where are the conservatives who thought that this Louisiana case maybe was the one for them? Where do you think they go from here? Well, there are just dozens and dozens of abortion-related cases making their way up the pipeline in the federal court system. Uh, There are more than a dozen that are just one step away from the Supreme Court currently. They're at the circuit court level. And the justices theoretically could use any one of them to revisit Roe versus Wade. We saw in the dissents written in this case that at least Justice Thomas is very ready to do that. He wrote, you know, our abortion precedents were wrongly decided and we should revisit them and overturn them. He sort of flat out said that. I don't know if there are enough who agree with him on the court to move in that direction, but at least, you know, he has made that clear. And the cases are all over the place. They're related to things like making minors get parental consent in order to have an abortion. They're about waiting periods where you have to 
go see a doctor and get evaluated, but then you have to wait, you know, 24, 72 hours before you can actually have the procedure. That makes it harder to access abortion if you have to travel to a different city and miss work, et cetera. There are just so many of these more narrow regulations in addition to cases and lawsuits over the more sweeping abortion bans that states have passed recently, many states, Georgia, Mississippi. So those cases are also working their way through the pipelines. Those cases which ban abortion after six weeks or 12 weeks, those more directly go after Roe versus Wade because Roe versus Wade said that states can't ban abortions prior to uh, fetal viability, which is at about 20, 24 weeks. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot to come. And I think that the message from progressives after this decision was less we won, let's relax, then this was extremely close. This was 5-4. We are one vote away from having abortion rights severely limited at the Supreme Court. And there are all of these other cases on the way that could potentially pose that threat as well. Yeah, basically, each case kind of depends on what laws have been passed in various states, right? Exactly. And because Roberts so firmly based his ruling on the fact that the court heard a very similar case just a few years ago and struck down that law, it really opens the question, if a case came to the Supreme Court of an abortion issue that the court had not debated and decided already, it's not clear where he would land. It's not like he was a firm vote for abortion rights this week. Mm, That's a really good point. Also, you know, really, as you said before, really clarifies the stakes of the the 2020 elections, again, on both sides, a theme we keep returning to. Yeah, absolutely. And so advocacy groups on both sides immediately jumped on this ruling and said that they would be using it to drum up voter engagement and uh, voter mobilization ahead of the 2020 election, given that the next president is likely to be able to appoint some justices, given the makeup of the court and the ages of the justices right now. And so... For conservatives, they are worried that some of their voters might feel disillusioned since so much of the 2016 election, a lot of conservative voters were won over who might have been skeptical about Donald Trump by the pledge to appoint judges who would be anti-abortion. And they got two judges and still the court upheld abortion rights. And so people are feeling a little frustrated about that. There was also some backlash to Justice Gorsuch, who was one of Trump's appointees, voting with the progressives on the uh, gay and trans rights case recently. So they are telling their voters, you know, look, we just need one more (laughs) is sort of the answer. They're saying we're so close to being able to go after Roe versus Wade. We just need one more. And that's why we need to reelect President Trump. Basically, the same message is being shared by progressives. They said, look, they just need one more. They're so close to be able to take away these rights. That's why we have to mobilize and defeat President Trump at the ballot box. Yeah, obviously, the presidential race is where this is going to play out most dramatically with the president having the power to appoint justices and other judges throughout the federal bench. Are there any Senate races where the court looks poised to play a particularly big role given the the Senate's role confirming presidential appointments? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a lot of appetite among progressives to punish certain vulnerable uh, GOP senators who are up for re-election who voted to confirm both Kavanaugh and Gorsuch, given that both of them voted the other way on this recent abortion case. And I saw it most prominently in the Susan Collins race, given that she was just so 
involved in the fight over Kavanaugh and made so many public pledges that Kavanaugh would not overturn precedent on abortion. And swiftly, all of these groups, NARAL and Planned Parenthood, pointed to this decision and said, look, Susan Collins, they say, you know, lied or, or was misled or whatever because Kavanaugh indicated that he would overturn this precedent on the whole woman's health decision. So Collins defended herself by saying that Roe versus Wade itself was not at issue in this case, but people say that, look, if Kavanaugh is willing to dump one of the court's abortion precedents, he is likely to be willing to dump others. And so I think we're going to hear a lot of that in that race, which is looking to be one of the closest and most expensive of the whole cycle. Yeah, definitely. Susan Collins, Republican from Maine, which has a long history of electing Republicans, but is has been a little bluer at the the presidential level. And we're seeing, you know, especially over the last 10 years, just kind of all of these these races align more and more in every election. There are fewer and fewer places that are going to vote one way for one office and another way for another office. Absolutely. And Maine's really interesting, too, because they elected a Democratic governor and they voted to expand Medicaid. And the Democratic governor has moved to loosen some restrictions on abortion. And so they're they're really moving in that direction on this issue specifically. Yeah, that's going to be that's going to be an interesting race to watch. I think they, they've got their their primary coming up. Uh, in a couple weeks, but it's basically, uh, it, it would be very surprising if the the leading Democrat there, the state house speaker, Sarah Gideon, wasn't the, the nominee to take on Collins. And actually, there's a lot of money just sitting in an escrow account waiting for her to win that primary that was raised in the days after she voted to confirm Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court in 2018. Well, it feels an awful lot longer ago than that. <laughs> but uh, angry progressive donors around the country kind of poured money into this nominee fund for whoever ended up running against Susan Collins. And and that that uh, that bank account is about to become available to, uh, to someone upon winning that primary uh, soon. Definitely going to be expensive and hard fought, like you said. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And I think you're going to see this particular decision referenced a lot in all of the attack ads yet to come. Yeah. You know, to what degree do you think this plays into, and you, you mentioned it before, but Trump brought along a lot of conservative voters, maybe evangelical voters in 2016, kind of on the basis of uh, pledging to appoint judges who who would be anti-abortion, who would, you know, who, who would issue those decisions. And since then, he's kind of built a, a deeper relationship with with evangelicals for a whole host of different reasons. But I wonder how this might affect that, given the, the you know, the, the kind of twin forces here, the, the disappointment of having lost this case, but also, you know, the highlighting of the importance of putting new judges on the bench. Yeah. So what conservatives told me when I was reporting out this story is that they feel that they have a really strong case to take to their voters because in 2016, they won them over just based on Trump's promises to make these appointments. Now they have a record of more than 200 federal judges that that President Trump has appointed and have been confirmed to the courts. And by and large, they are almost very uniformly very anti-abortion. And in this Supreme Court case, both Supreme Court appointees of Trump's voted in favor of the abortion restriction in Louisiana. And so they feel that they have that record now to take to voters and say, look, he delivered on this promise. He would appoint even more judges if he was granted reelection. There's also been just so many anti-abortion moves on the sort of executive policy side that they have to point to, taking uh, the Title X funding away from Planned Parenthood, for instance, uh, reinstating the Mexico City policy, which critics call the global gag rule that denies foreign aid funding to groups that refer for abortions. So just 
a lot of sweeping policies on birth control under the Affordable Care Act. That is another Supreme Court case that's coming up. Oh, we'll get to that in a second. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but essentially, even with Congress completely deadlocked and unable to do anything major on abortion, the president has been able to do a lot in remaking the courts and in federal policy to limit access to abortion. And so they they feel that that's very persuasive for voters. Yeah. So obviously, this was a, a big hot button case, maybe the hottest of hot buttons that, that is associated with the Supreme Court. Uh, and yet the court, as, as we discussed a little bit before, they still have more decisions outstanding before they get out of town for the summer. And, and traditionally, they leave the most, you know, fiery and, and, and explosive of them for the very end. And so in that sense, I mean, you know, if we're getting the abortion decision before those, like what is still left on the docket? Can you can you let us know what else we have in store coming from the court in, in maybe the next few weeks or, or days even, I guess? Yeah. So potentially the biggest one of all, the Affordable Care Act, we won't get that until after the election, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But there are some big ones coming up. There's ones related to Trump's tax returns. There's one... Ooh. That's spicy. Like a, yes, very spicy. <laughs> and this um, is about whether, basically, whether investigators can subpoena them. Right. It always boggles my mind to remember how long these cases take to work their way through the system. I mean, the fact that we are still litigating the Affordable Care Act's birth control mandate 10 years after the passage of the Affordable Care Act just shows you how long this can take. And so that one's related to, you know, religious groups are exempt. They don't have to provide birth control for their employees under their insurance, but they do have to sort of sign waivers so that those employees can get the coverage through other means and not be denied. And so the groups say that even signing those waivers is a violation of their religious principles. Um, so we're, we're back at the court again on that. It's really the Supreme Court loves just like somebody cramming for their finals they love to leave it all <laughs> to the last minute yeah 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 just out of curiosity what's it been like covering this case uh, in particular during these coronavirus times you know we we talked to heather cagle on our congress team last week we've talked to other reporters about how how odd and different it is covering their beats under coronavirus and working from home and yet somehow with the supreme court Again, you know, just kind of going against the grain in all sorts of different ways. It's like there are parts about covering the Supreme Court that's actually easier now. Yeah, well, you know, just because there's a pandemic doesn't mean everything else stops. (laughs) So the Supreme Court doesn't stop. The efforts to restrict abortion never stops. (laughs) So, yeah, it's just it's it's been a little crazy just keeping an eye on things while also covering all this breaking news. And I mean, I was fortunate that this case was argued before the pandemic got serious. So I got to go in person to the court in March and and hear the arguments, which is always a a really cool experience that um, very few people get to have, but a lot more people sort of get to have it now because they're live streaming the Supreme Court arguments for the very first time. Uh, just the audio, not video, but still, it's it's a step. It's a step towards making the court more accessible to the average person. Yeah, the court has the Supreme Court has always been kind of this like last bastion of of no technology, basically. Like you go, you're not allowed to bring you know phones or recording devices in, right? You you bring a, a notepad and and paper. And then I've never actually been to cover a decision that's coming down as opposed to listening to the arguments that day. But that seems like a very stressful situation where you have to be in there and then you have to run out to where you're allowed to have your technology to right and and when i used to do radio i would uh i would have to run out grab my microphone and equipment and sprint over to where the lawyers come out to try to catch them coming out to 
to interview them and so that was always fun oh gosh as well <laughs> uh, all right so a little, little bit of uh, uh, technology bringing the supreme court to the masses just what everyone has been looking for to entertain themselves during these these covid times it's something and these cases you know impact millions of people so if more people get to experience it in real time i feel like that's a good thing totally all right well thanks for bringing a little slice of the supreme court to us alex sure absolutely here are three other things i've been watching this week Number one, one of the big questions brewing in Washington, what President Trump knew and when about the intelligence at the center of recent media reports that Russian intelligence operatives were paying out bounties to the Taliban for killing American soldiers in Afghanistan. It's been the subject of intense scrutiny, especially among congressional Democrats, and it made sense to make note of it in light of last week's Nerdcast about exactly what Democrats want to do about some of the, the scandals that build up around this presidency. There are calls for different officials to testify, for documents to be turned over, and so on, as well as big questions about how much Trump is absorbing from the high-level classified intelligence briefings he receives. All that wrapped up in one big story. Uh, Number two, there's a big fight brewing, or more accurately, a huge number of big fights around the country about the reopening of public schools in the fall. Politico had some polling at the end of last month showing a majority of voters voicing concerns about it though we've since seen recommendations from the American Academy of Pediatrics on the side of reopening schools with certain precautions in place for students. But of course, it's not just kids who would be heading back. Teachers and administrators would have to as well. And negotiations between districts and teachers unions about exactly what to do uh, to make sure everyone stays safe are, are not always going that well, especially with this new spike in cases of coronavirus in a number of states around the country. So keep an eye on this one. Politico has another story coming out about uh, the, these brewing fights between uh, teachers and teachers unions and, and school districts about exactly what to do. And of course, this is a, a critical question because if, if kids aren't going back to school, uh, the economy can't reopen in any real sense of the word uh, because someone's got to look after all these kids. So it's going to be a big question to watch over the summer as every school district deals with this in a slightly different way. And our third thing, we discussed last week how badly Trump's poll numbers are looking in in his matchup with Joe Biden, at least as of right now. My colleague Alex Eisenstadt reported something interesting last weekend, that Trump admits and realizes that he's losing. Now, maybe this doesn't seem so striking when a bunch of polls have come out showing him down double digits. But when you consider his against-the-odds win in 2016, uh, his talk leading up to the 2018 election of a red wave, and of course there was anything but and his consistent dismissal of polls in the past, I thought it was notable. So the the question that this raised for me is, if he thinks he's losing, what is Trump planning to do about it? What is he going to land on as his play for trying to recover from this? And typically in the past, that's been to try and gin up his base in such a way that he thinks he can get past it. It's a question to ponder as we move into the summer and we have really, you know, only four more months of the presidential campaign in front of us, which sounds like a lot, but but it's less than there's ever been. All right, that's our show. Our producer this week is Adrian Hurst. Our senior producer is Jenny Amund. And our executive producer is Irene Noguchi. Our illustrator is Bill Cookman. If you're listening to the show on Apple Podcasts, please do us a favor and leave a review. It helps new listeners find the show. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you again next week.